PD Raw is a podcast sharing the experiences and insights of people with personality disorders or traits by being brave and talking about the things that are shameful and painful. Humans demystify and destigmatize the things that we hide. The aim of this podcast is to let others know that they are not alone. By showing the reality behind our walls, we hope to bring people closer together, connecting in a more open and authentic way. Please be aware that, due to its topic, this podcast is adults only, not safe for work, and may contain triggering content. Howdy there, folks. Once again, it is Few and NPD April. We're coming at you with another episode just after the last one. This time we're going to be talking about coping skills, hopefully helping some of y'all with some of the things we talked about last time or affects that you have in your own life. So April, I still have you on the line. Is that true? Is this what your producer said? Yes, I am still <laughs> here, still alive, still kicking ass (laughs) (laughs) that's what i like to hear all right so your people have informed me correctly she is indeed in the building perfect so (laughs) yeah so i'll I'll say that i have for myself interestingly again in the interest of being kind of broad-minded i have a Uh couple of unhealthy coping skills and then a list of healthier coping skills and i think it's interesting to maybe also mention the unhealthy ones because sometimes people make it more realistic. They're like, you know, you're being promiscuous. Or I got them too. Here I was about to try to justify myself. And you're just, okay. So now I'm going to justify myself to the audience. Um, yeah. yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. Just for people who are listening, of sometimes people do things that are self and other destructive. And it is difficult to deal with. It should be difficult to deal with. It should trigger in you maybe your own anger or fear or your own desire to preserve your own person. And that's natural. But mm-hmm. for somebody who is disordered and they have these feelings going on inside of them, it can be something like either I drink to numb the pain or I cut off my own hand or I drive this car and wrap it around a tree or I need this promiscuity to feel a sense of love and connection that I don't feel in my life or I don't see the reason in getting out of bed. There are these ways in which you can use these unhealthy actions or activities to keep you in the game of life to keep you still going to work to have something to look forward to to be a temporary relief they're not a good idea in the long term abusing things and being dependent on them but there are times where they are the best coping strategy or a coping strategy yeah okay i don't know where you want me to start um uh why not you tell me I think let's start with maybe some of the unhealthy coping mechanisms and talk about some of the things that brought you there. And then we'll try to tell people, okay, these are the raw blunt instruments. This is what a lot of people turn to. Some of us have been in some of these. Then what are some of the things you do when you're starting to be healthier? You're starting to be more self-aware. You're a bit lighter. What do those things look like? I think that would be a good structure for the episode. I like that. I like that because, yeah, especially with my addiction. So for those that do not know, 
I'm April and I'm an alcoholic. Hello, <laughs> um, April. So. <laughs> I, I am Here I am at my AA meeting. <laughs> this this uh, reminds me that I have a, another episode coming out with Noda and Costa B Milkshake, uh-huh. and I titled it DMA, Disordered Moms Anonymous. So don't worry about it. There are groups for all. We're going to fit you somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we are. Uh, <laughs> Right now we're yeah. in Coping Skills Anonymous. We'll get to the other ones. But yeah, go ahead, April. Thanks for taking the time right. this. Totally. That was my first coping skill was drinking. And I'll just like give you a quick run through about how mm-hmm. that happened, how that started for me. I'll just go all the way back to high school just to give you guys a full run through. When I was in high school, like big thing for me, as I mentioned in that other episode, like, Uh, Social anxiety has been like a big problem in my life that's prevented me from connecting with people, especially when I'm in like that vulnerable narcissist mode. My social anxiety can be really high. Mm. So early on, I when I was in my senior year of high school, I was working in the school store in high school, which is like a little like shop that people can come in and buy snacks either for lunch or like when they're if they have a free period, like study hall period or whatever. Uh, so I was like selling coffees there a lot and one day I thought it would be funny if I went well I didn't think it would be funny I just I just drank a big thing of coffee there one day during my like school store meeting and then I had lunch the next period and I noticed like right away that drinking a bunch of coffee and getting all like buzzed out on it (laughs) (laughs) getting a real buzz going all of a sudden I was like super entertaining and people were finding me really funny because I was like being all hyperactive and all that stuff. Um, Ooh. Oh, this is interesting. And that was totally, yeah, because I don't think I see a lot of people talk about this at all, really. But this was totally like the precursor to like, drinking for me. I started to do this a lot in my senior year of high school, just drinking coffee, like to make people laugh and make people entertained. And a big part of narcissism is you're not really trying to connect with people on an emotional level, especially when you're not self-aware when I was younger like that. You're mm-hmm. just trying to entertain people. You feel like the way to get people to like you is if you're like entertaining and that's a way to get people to admire yeah, you too. Is, superficial you charming know? glibness. But yeah, I mean, I just have <laughs> to say that your story right now is so fucking fascinating. I just would never have guessed that coffee was the gateway drug yeah. after all. It ain't Mary J people it, and it's not sniffing blue. <laughs> Fucking coffee. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, you know, I think a lot of times that, like, you kind of get into drinking from like, a peer pressure or a parent who's alcoholic and you kind of internalize, like, that life script or these other things. Mm-hmm. So one of the things you're saying, which I kind of, I'll, I'll editorialize a little bit right now and then let you keep going, is, again, with NPD, you're out of touch with mm-hmm. your true self. You're kind of looking at the outside to determine things. And so you see that, oh, I feel slightly was and I act in a way that other people really like. Like I see the things happening on the outside that I want. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. I need to keep getting buzzed. Like this is what's gonna give me the outcome. There's no Oh of, my god, epiphany right now. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you Oops. for that. <laughs> yeah. A healthier person might be like, oh, like I got buzz and had fun, but then like what do I want? 
Like, how do I feel? Is this what I want to be around people? Yeah. What What is, is this feeling worth it? How is it in my body? They have all these other is things. Is it affecting kind of my feel- health? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because that was a big thing too, is I would tell people that I was getting these buzzes going on when I was like this teenager. And like, some people would be like, ah, ha, ha, that's so funny. And other people would be like, are you okay? Like, that can hurt your health. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, I mean, that's exactly the reason why I'm picking on it is because the fact that you had this one motivation when you had this experience went in this one direction with it says so much about you and what was happening in your inner environment and again those different reactions that you got from different people showed what they had going on but just hearing so Uh i i knew that it worked or sorry i shouldn't say i knew i thought that this was a part of the mechanism of action for narcissistic people or antisocial people like the drinking makes me able to socialize or it takes away the pain i think that's a big one like numbs it temporarily or it's a way to pass time all these shallow yeah. superficial reasons that don't go down deeper to connecting of who you want to be but again you're out of touch with who you want to be so the shallow reasons then take over you just see what happens as the effect and you're like Fuck it, like I'm, I'm done. Like, this, is, this is what I'm doing. Like, yeah, exactly. It's my fucking Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Buster B. I'm making said, people laugh. People like me. This is what I want to be. <laughs> yeah, Buster B was joking around. It's just like, you know, time to take my medicine. I know that when I'm drinking, I'm going to do things that I wouldn't do when I was sober. So yeah, that's it. No more consideration. No more, how am I going to feel? Like, what's this on my health? Who do I really want to yeah. be? It's Don't just. Think about that. Yeah. Cause, cause and effect. This is what's going to get me there. Done. Yep. And when you're that young, too, it's like, you don't really like, think about your health. I'm a teenager. Nothing's going to happen to me, I guess, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, so there's yeah. like that aspect of it, too. Yeah, um, so I'll, I'll let you keep going, but just blowing my mind. Love it, April. Ah, uh, awesome. Thank you. So, okay. So around this time, this is like I'm 17 when this was going on. I was a big part of the whole music scene because I was a drummer and I was in a band. And like one of the big words in the music scene is you don't do drugs or drink or stuff like that. You're like mm. called straight edge. So that's how I like to find myself. I was like, I was calling myself straight edge. And in retrospect, the reason I wanted to define myself that way is because I was already starting to realize that if coffee was making me feel this way, alcohol was dangerous for me. Like, I shouldn't get involved in that shit because I'm going to get, like, addicted to it, you know? I was already starting to be aware of that back then. And I was that way for a couple of years. And then when I was 21 years old, uh, my family, we all went on a field, we all went on a field trip. We all went on vacation. Maybe uh, your family goes on field trips. That's lit, bro. (laughs) 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 <laughs> we all went on a vacation to Ireland yeah, and England right. to have family over there. And we went to the Guinness factory in Ireland. And so we go on this tour of the Guinness factory where they make Guinness beer. And at the very end of the tour, they give out free samples, like a full ass cup of Guinness beer. Yeah. And I'm like, and then there's this peer pressure all around me because everyone in my family is drinking the beer. I'm mm. like, I I guess I have to drink it because I'm gonna. I don't want to be the odd one out. So I drink it, and then I'm like, "Is this the end of me being straight edge now?" And then 
So for like a couple of years in there between, because that was when I was like 21. So there's like a couple of years in the, in the middle there of like, all right, I'm just going to get tipsy because I still get that buzz that I like. And I feel my social anxiety is kind of gone because I'm getting tipsy a little bit and that feels good. Dipping your toes in. Yeah, dipping my toes in. But I'm like, I'm not going to let myself get drunk. <laughs> and then when I'm 24 years old, I like hang out with a bunch of people that I was going to college with. We all went to this bar and I got drunk for the first time. And I, this is still back before I was self-aware. I was like, first at first I felt anxious. Like, oh my God, I actually got drunk. But then I was like, oh my God, everybody's laughing at everything I'm saying. I'm able to say anything I want to say unrefined. I'm able to not even like just the social anxiety aspect, but the NPD aspect is gone. I'm able to be totally vulnerable with people. I'm able to say my real feelings and be really myself around people all the time now. So that just is when it started to slowly spiral out of control. That's when I started to like drink all the time. Um, I was in a band at the time and I was like, before every band practice, I was going to get drunk because then I could, and this was like starting to become a way I'd manage my NPD. This also managed my NPD in my romantic relationships. Cause I was like, there's hard things to, you're in a romantic relationship. There's going to be hard conversations, you know? And I was mm -hmm. like, I can avoid the fear that comes up in hard conversations by getting drunk. So yeah. And so, yeah, one point that I'll put in here, that you've already described really beautifully. And so what this is, you know, I, I think not a lot of people maybe have significant understanding of addictions. And personally, it's not a area of specialty for me. But the thing mm -hmm. that you're saying is the core part of the addiction for you throughout the whole thing it's not an addiction to the substance you're not just like withdrawal from well, okay at this point not yet like withdrawal mm -hmm. from the coffee or withdrawal from the alcohol maybe you get there but that's not the initial hook the initial hook is it serves this function for you and it papers over this thing that other people can seemingly do so easily but you can't or you want to and you crave it and so the core of the addiction is emotional emotional and functional like it lets you do things as opposed to an addiction to the substance and so the way yeah. that you would actually help somebody to get over an addiction like once you get to the point of like physical dependency or something like that obviously there are treatment programs for that but you also have to right. treat the emotional or the functional skills that they bring over the things that it's giving to you Yep. Yep. It's like, it, it was my tool for managing NPD when I had no idea what NPD was. I just knew <laughs> I was like dealing with these struggles. <laughs> it was also my tool. It also started to become that after a while, my tool for managing my depression. Cause I was mm -hmm. like, I could get drunk and then I won't feel depressed anymore. I won't feel anything. It just like numbs you out, you know? Yeah. Uh, and part of that is like, you see that so much on the media. It's like, like sitcoms and stuff like people are having a bad day they're like oh, i'm gonna go have a drink <laughs> right. yeah and i think so. that peer pressure and suggestibility to outside influences is also a big part of mpd because you want to look the part you want to fit in you are hyper mm -hmm. aware and vigilant of how you're coming off to other people and so if it's presented to you in your environment by others or the media you consume or something like that and you see that this is mm -hmm. an option and it's looked on well you're gonna fucking do it Yep, yep, totally, yeah. 
So it's the TV shows I was watching. It's also it's also definitely like the music I was into. A lot of these musicians so had these addictions to like substances, and I always wanted to be like yeah. this rock star growing punk, up. You know, like punk, punk rock, metal. Like mm-hmm. yo, mm-hmm. there's so many people there with addictions. You know, <laughs> kind uh, kind of fucking famous for it. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> so yes basically anyways it was going on for a while it was going on it was like my way of managing for a while and it wasn't really causing any problems in my life really it was like helping me be vulnerable it was helping me be able to talk to people it was helping me like get through my depression and i felt like everything was i felt like i had control over it all Uh, and then until it started actually affecting my life and then Mm. like I had a really good friend. I was working uh, I was working at this job and I had a really good friend and I used to like part of my job was anytime something really good happened or like whenever it was like somebody's birthday party, we would always go out to this little barcade. It was like an arcade bar. So that was how we would celebrate everything. And I uh, one day I just got like super drunk and I had a crush on this friend of mine and I already told her that I had a crush on her and she said no so I was like okay I'm like gonna try and keep this on the friend level one day I got super drunk and I like started pouring out all this emotional stuff and then it made her super uncomfortable so then I was like really bad I was like oh my god right. I'm like you- screwing up my friendship right now you know yeah, and then you start spiraling after you make her uncomfortable because you're like, fuck, I can't believe I just did that. Like, the insecurity starts eating you alive. Yeah, totally. Yep. And that's definitely a big NPD collapse right there after that happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, fortunately for me, like, the amount of shame that I felt from that was my motivation to get sober. Right. Um, and by this point, I was now self-aware, so it's like I got like this. This this event happened when I was twenty, or when I was thirty-two, which is when I officially got sober. So years ago, I'm thirty-two now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was just thinking in the back of my mind. I was just like, "How old is she?" <laughs> I'm 32 now. It's yeah. been just a few months, but I'm yeah. happy with it. I'm staying sober now. Um, in a past far, far away. Or, <laughs> or you know, once upon a time. Yeah. Once like upon that. a time. But <laughs> it was early 32, so there's some distance from that now. <laughs> um, but, anyways, yeah, I mean, 32. I became self aware of having NPD when I was 20. Eight. So, you know, one of the big things for me was I'm like, if I can get sober, if I can get this alcohol thing out of my life, then I can really just focus on just the healthy coping mechanisms that I've been building up over the past couple of years. And I won't have to worry about using alcohol to like manage my symptoms. And I think I will do a lot better of a job at managing my NPD if I can get rid of this addiction thing. You know? Yeah. And, you know, this is, I think, another 
misconception that we didn't quite get to that I had written down, but that is that NPD mm -hmm. doesn't always have to happen as a result of trauma. And so to some extent, we know this because it's neglect or objectification or spoiling. But one of the mm -hmm. things that I've actually started coming to and saying a lot is just a lack of being appropriately instructed about how to navigate life or navigate your own mind. There are certain experiences that you need to have of connecting with people and the skills to maintain connection that leave you healthy mm -hmm. and functional and not just not learning those skills can make you disordered in some way in any of the clusters as you start to do other things to stand in for those skills that you don't have and so one of the things you're describing about mm -hmm. using this addiction or even the narcissism as the way to quote unquote connect or navigate the world it's kind of bearing mm -hmm. that out of aside from all the other motivations you have you don't have the skills to connect or feel secure or navigate other people. And so what do you do? You turn to the things that seem to work, that seem to give you the outer appearance of success. Yes. And the fucking yes. alcohol does it, and the being superficially charming does it. And it's just for you, you're just doing the things that seem to work. Because you don't know anything. Yes. Because I'm seeing all these other people connect around me. And uh, a lot of times, to be honest, I, I feel like insecure and I feel like jealous of their connections and their closeness. And I'm like, it's almost like I feel like I just need to use some cheat codes so I can get there too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know? And, you know, people, people sometimes castigate narcissists. They're like, you know, you're just looking for the easy way out. You're just trying to cheat. And from your perspective, it's like, it seems like everybody else is cheating. Everybody else can do this thing, but I can't. How am I supposed to get there? Yeah. So you're trying to find so, that shortcut. Yep. Yeah. So it's like, how am I going to get there? Because it's not it's not that I'm trying to, like, cheat. It's, it's like, I want to be where other people are at. I want to be yeah. on the same level as them. Yeah. And have those close friendships like i i always feel like all these people around me have these close friends that call them their best friend and i, I don't have that and like it's it's just like i just want deep connections with people yeah and you know so. like i said part of that is learning skills but learning skills takes practice and discipline and you need to be taught you need to be shown and if you're not mm -hmm. there's no fucking way that you can get there on your own so it, it's a fucking hard place to be in for sure yeah yeah all right, so with all that said, I think I'm ready to like get into some of the healthy stuff I've been doing now. <laughs> well, yeah, so let well let me fill out some of the more other negative coping mechanisms just yeah, to feel, make sure we have sure everything. But that was yeah. that was beautiful. Like your own experience gave us a lot to really dig into there. Mm -hmm, and so yeah. obviously I think that drugs is basically exactly analogous or synonymous with alcohol here in terms of how you get into it, what you're really using it for, maybe getting dependent on it, kind of having to hit rock bottom before you think that recovery and doing things healthier is even worthwhile. So I think your mm -hmm. whole entire story there, you can interchange that with marijuana and then harder drugs and it goes the same way. Another coping skill is sex and promiscuity. And sex and promiscuity, again, can serve some of that. It gives you that connection in an easier way than like building it deeply with maybe like a relationship or getting to know people deeply. It's also uh -huh. way to pass the time. It's also something that you can be skilled at that can attract people to you if you feel insecure about being able to do a proper relationship. So again, you can use promiscuity you can, like, sex. Fill in the yeah. yeah, yeah. Same way that you're talking about using drugs or alcohol of fulfilling the role, the skill that you don't have 
and that you're envious or jealous of other people for being able to do. So, uh -huh. yeah, yeah, very parallel, I think. And then another one, and this is going to sound really fucking weird, but this is okay. something, something that I've discovered looking back on my experiences and reframing them could only get here in hindsight. And so this is a coping skill that I have had at points in my life, and that is depression. As a coping skill. The coping mechanism, the coping skill. Uh -huh. Yeah, sounds really. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, yeah, I... yeah, yeah. No, I'd be interested to hear that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's the, that's the reaction I was waiting for. So, yeah. So... Listen, I, I wouldn't be surprised if I used that as a coping skill myself. <laughs> so, so you know, depression is usually a withdrawal or a negative affect or a lack of interest or engagement or attachment to the world because you have had difficult things happen. You've had trauma, you've had violated expectations or entitlement or things that you mm -hmm. deeply felt about the world haven't panned out and you don't know what to do next. You don't feel strong enough to kind of be out in life and engaged and thriving. And so you withdraw, you isolate, you incubate, you reserve your energy and you just curl up into a ball. You go back into the womb. Now, obviously, like it's not healthy, like not great for a, as a long-term thing, but it does serve a purpose. If you are in an environment that isn't good for you, or you're in a situation that is triggering, or you've had this big important thing to you and something's gone wrong or a trauma or an incident, you are potentially not safe to go out and be in the world and be optimistic, to see new possibilities and be acting on them, to be able to like meet new people or maintain relationships. You have these other things going on inside of you that are complicated and you have to process, you have to really integrate, you need time to heal them. And so depression actually gives you that time to incubate, to take time off, to let things sort of take their own course in terms of healing and then coming out of the depression actually gives you a new ability to really turn in a new direction that you might not if you're enmeshed in life so, so let me give an example i think maybe i think you had this of your father wanting you to go into a particular career choice i think this happens for a lot of people of like parental expectations on them of like you have to be a doctor you have to be an architect you have to be like a mathematician like whatever the fuck it is and you want mm -hmm. to do something else like you want to be a graphic designer you want to be a musician you want to be a shit poster on the npd support group like i am all these different things <laughs> you want to, <laughs> you want to do with your life it isn't what your parents want to do but you do what they want you to because you know you're you're, you're living under the roof you're following the rules you're following the forces that life is putting on you to follow. So you do the yes. thing, but you're unhappy. But you keep doing it anyways, because now you're committed. You're in this rut, you're just going forward. And eventually you get depressed. You uh -huh. start withdrawing, start isolating. You start doing things like acting out and maybe you quit the job. You got to stay at home. You're failing to keep up with things and people. Life is passing you by, you're at home and you're sad. But the depression has done something functionally, potentially very fucking useful for you. It has taken you out of the job that has been actively making you miserable, that you really don't like, that is very much not a life you want to be leading. And in that depressing mm -hmm. phase, if you can actually figure out what was making you depressed and unhappy, you can actually be like, well, wait, this is the thing that's causing me depressed. This is what I need to make me happy. 
or maybe sometimes even just like being a, getting a job that will just pay the bills, but leave you more time to doing some of those things that'll make your life more full and more rich. The depression can give you both the signal that something needs to change and the time to turn the ship around and go into a new direction that you couldn't do if you just kept going forward doing the thing you were doing last time. And in hindsight, a lot of my depressions have been the same. Been depressed when there's been something triggering, traumatic, something that's difficult, or I've been in a situation or environment that's unsafe, and I collapse, withdraw, isolate. But then when I actually start understanding what caused me, caused it to happen, and what I really want from myself in my environment and the direction I can turn. And then I do start turning in it and I actually end up stronger and happier than I was before that depression hit. And so it actually instructs and guides me in a way that I couldn't if I kept on going with what I'd been doing in my life in the same direction and same path. Now, obviously this depression is not a great coping skill long term because it fucks a lot of things up and you're withdrawn from the world and you're not kind of providing for yourself, you're not out there and living life. But it is a it is a coping mechanism if you can use it to actually turn your life around and look at things differently at the end of it. What do you what do you think of that? That's my fucking sales pitch for depression or near you. <laughs> uh, I had so many thoughts while you were talking about that. So yeah, with depression, I mean there's always something that it's i agree it's 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 trying to tell you something it's and i i don't know do you have like that thing where it's you have like when it first hits you like you don't want to do anything right i just like want to be like laying on the couch or whatever yeah you feel me on that right Um, yeah yeah but like when you look back on it it really it really it's like a teacher it like teaches you something's going wrong in my life it helps you like analyze there's there's a reason why i'm depressed all the time i have to make some kind of a change in my life and for me there's been a lot of moments of that in my life there's been like you know i made a career change from psychology to like like i was a therapist for a little while and then made the switch to doing art and graphic design yeah and by the way like all those skills i learned in therapy totally still useful for me i mean like they're helping me make this channel work and stuff like that but you know so i think they're totally helpful and um, i don't regret it at all but i just realized like doing the clinical stuff sitting there with a client in the room talking to me about their problems and like dealing with people that are in crisis and stuff like that wasn't for me and i was constantly draining me and bringing me down and like a lot of stuff i met yeah a lot of the people i met were like really upsetting and that's how i fell into a depression was just like trying to do it and struggling to do it and also struggling to keep jobs like i had a lot of jobs that i lost because like i was just having so much trouble uh maintaining a job because of the pressure of it Mm -hmm. so yeah i just ultimately realized it wasn't for me and that's what got me into this state that i'm in now where i'm going back to school i'm going to be starting that in the summer the end of august i guess for like the art and graphic design stuff but like i never would have i never would have gotten to the point of making that decision if i wasn't feeling that depression if that depression wasn't there for me to show me that also i'm gonna like totally dive into this here is that growing up my whole life feeling uncomfortable with 
my gender and with the way that people were perceiving me, other people were perceiving me and the roles they were expecting of me, like they were putting me into this role of a man and like expecting me to do the man things and like, you're, hey, April, the, you're like the car repair guy. You're like the, <laughs> you're like the guy that does all the, the manly man things and like the way people talk to me and interacted with me. I was feeling depressed all the time because of that. I was like looking at the way women dressed and feeling like envious of that all the time. Um, so it was this constant like depression. And it was that depression that made me realize that I was, I mean, that's what gender dysphoria is. It was like that depression that was making me realize I was uncomfortable with my gender. And that became a motivation for me to like come out as trans and start transitioning and all that stuff, you know? Yeah, and I mean, I love here how you're talking about how, again, depression or the envy that you're describing are coming from unmet needs or things that are felt by you that are being ignored or invalidated. And so, again, this is one of those things of, so one of the things I was thinking in my head of in terms of trying to help your friend who's depressed people, like, you know, how do I make them feel good? How do I take them out? Like, how do we get them on happy pills? Just like make them feel good again. And it's, if you have this view of depression, like what we're talking about right now, it's a lot deeper than that. It is, what mm-hmm. is the deepest felt things by this person that they're, like, what are their unmet needs? What do they long, what is inside them that longs for expression? What is the changes that they need to make on the path of their life that would make them happier or more stable in the long term? It's not just this thing of how do we uplift their mood? There can be these deep existential fundamental questions that can be going on underneath of it that needs to be addressed. Yep. Definitely. And something like that I have noticed when I've been trying to explain like my experiences with like gender dysphoria to people is like, they may not necessarily relate to that, but like they can relate to the feeling of being in a job that they don't like and they have to go to that job every day and they have to feel miserable in the (laughs) role that they're in every day. And honestly, it is very similar to that, you know? It's like you're in this role that other people see you in every day and you're not happy with it all the time. And it's like, I think that's where I'm able to like get people to understand a little bit more. (laughs) Yeah. And I think maybe one, another way to kind of put it is that like, you're not necessarily like when it comes to your gender identity, asking for preferential treatment would be the best. It's just, I will take a lateral shift. I will do like another job that or another role that's parallel or similar to this, but not this one. Like what this is, is grinding me down and is not, who I want to be or seen as. It's just just something else that is easy or natural or comfortable or that other people don't want to be. Or other people, again, like they're a woman who transition or people who are secure in being Mm -hmm. gender neutral, being a man. Like Mm -hmm. it's, it's not that in this case, for your MPD, maybe you want to be special and grandiose. But in this case, it's just something that is natural and simple that I crave so badly and you fucking won't even let me do that. That's the thing that really chaps your fucking ass about it, I would imagine. Uh Uh-huh, definitely, yeah. Yeah, this has been fun. So I think I have a convert to my cult of depression as a coping mechanism. (laughs) Um, Uh, Yeah, it is. Uh, There's a lot to be learned from depression, yeah. 
Yeah, the, yeah. So some thoughts that I'm still working through. And of course, there are still more negative coping mechanisms, but I don't think we need to go through all of them. I think just to maybe give some context to people to not always be looking at people kind of side-eyed or judging of when they use these other maladaptive coping patterns, they serve a purpose. They serve these very strange reasons, but usually very functional, very practical. And people will let go of them when they, when either the coping mechanism becomes impractical and dysfunctional, or if you teach them how to meet their needs in a better way. Yeah. And speaking about meeting your needs in a better way, you know what that fucking segues well into? Healthy coping mechanisms. Oh, yeah. Okay. I have one. Okay. Before we go full on into the healthy coping mechanisms, okay, okay. I have something that's kind of neutral. Uh-huh. But Hit me with your best shot. I think it's good. I think it's good because one of my like big philosophies is you have like a personality disorder. I don't think that you have to change absolutely every aspect of your personality in order to be better. You know, like there's parts of your personality disorder that you can actually use in order Mm -hmm. to function in the world better and one of my things is similar to like how depression can be like a drive for you my like need for attention and admiration and stuff like that is actually i i can use it in a pro-social way that Mm. i think is good and i i think it it helps me okay my motivation is like I want to destigmatize NPD. This is totally like my motivation. I don't want that to. I don't want to like diminish that at all. But like my like internal drive to like want attention from people, want people's eyeballs on me, is pushing me to like put out more videos, constantly put out more stuff on my Instagram, on my YouTube interviews, and all that stuff. Like it, this need for attention, I'm using it in a pro-social way to like motivate me to make more stuff and i think that's a good thing it's not like it's a part of my mpd but i'm using it in a way that's helping other people and same thing could be said about my music is like i know i'm getting a lot of attention and and admiration and stuff from that but at the same time i'm putting out this nice music that makes people feel good and stuff so um it's like I, i i call that like high functioning narcissism it's like i'm using it in a way that's that's like I'm using my narcissism in a way that's actually helpful. Yeah, and I mean, I've said this a lot of times on the sub and kind of of what I conceive of a healthy functional person of being is somebody who's kind of made peace with their past, cannot be destructive Uh towards other people and themselves, and they can be Uh somewhat emotionally flexible and responsive to their environment and experience a different range of internal affects. So that, it's kind of what I conceive of as being a healthy person, kind of this person who's engaged in life and made their peace with an acceptance with a lot of things. But you can be yeah. a whole fuck ton of things within that category. And somebody who is more attention seeking, but you're using that characteristic for good things. Yeah, absolutely. Like what? what's the problem? Like what's the harm? The only thing uh-huh. I would say is if the attention seeking is completely inflexible, like you can't not do it, like we're at the point of compulsivity, that's maybe the only time where I would say, maybe like there are times when it's better to 
not be, or there's times when it's better to be located. Again, like we were just talking about depression, like sometimes to withdraw and reflect. But that that aside, if you're not hurting anybody or turning it towards good ends, that's a fucking great thing. And that is leveraging the skill. I mean, even some of the stuff that I'm doing on the pod or like other people, they ask people for lessons in how to get more attention for their products or their music or their art or whatever they're doing. So there are some yeah. people who actually need the skill and you're representing somebody who is extremely fluent in that skill so yeah i mean that's like what that's what marketing is pretty much is like getting (laughs) stuff i mean the whole thing of marketing is that (laughs) yeah i mean you know again like a narcissist the false self you are your own biggest marketer and promoter so that's Yeah. yeah And even for myself, these interviews that I do and the way that I talk with people and I engage on the forums, it is me putting to use my skills of deeply connecting with people. Now, again, this can go really fucking bad because I can get enmeshed and codependent with people and it is a fucking nightmare for everybody involved. But when it's channeled appropriately, when I've kind of sitting in the middle, when I'm not getting drawn into things that I can't handle and I'm using it towards a good end of really drawing things out and making people feel comfortable and going deep with people, then things happen like right now where I can make people feel comfortable to say shit that they didn't before, or I can take their experiences and make these points or see these deeper things and everybody ends up seeing more out of it. And that's me using some of my natural skills as a borderline. So I'm using some of my disordered tricks. Oh my God, like (laughs) right now you you and that skill like you're bringing things out of me that i haven't shared in my videos that like i'm <laughs> thinking about this i want to go make videos on it later because like, right. I, love, I love the stuff that's coming out of these conversations right now <laughs> yeah and that's you know that's one of the things that i've always known about myself before like even people used to joke mm-hmm. that like conversations with a uh, few they don't stay surface level for more than five, 10 minutes. It's always been this skill I have of getting really deep, really quick with people and at a pace they actually feel comfortable or understood and accepted. But again, this has also been a source of some of my main weaknesses. So it's kind of like what I was just saying. Yeah. Yeah. When it becomes inflexible and you can't not do it and you get stuck in a bad situation, that's when it's really bad. And I have fucking been there. So again, I've been there with the attention thing too, where like (laughs) I absolutely need supply and attention from people and like, yeah, rely on that. And like, it gets in the way of connection and all that kind of stuff. But exactly. Kind of but yeah. yeah. If, you, if you, you know, we're back to fucking Aristotle and the golden mean is like too much or too little, but getting it right in the middle for mm-hmm. lots of things is what we're looking for. So yeah, I'm completely with you on that. This is definitely a neutral area of those things that you maybe do compulsively or in some dysfunctional ways, but if you figure your shit out and employ them well, can be your strong suit. I'm totally here yep. for it. Awesome. Yeah. Great one. All right. So, yeah. So, I guess some of the positive things, fully positive. One of them I broke down here was from a recent video I did, which I did a video about. I feel like this is a very much an NPD thing. It might be like an also like an ADHD thing. Like I don't have ADHD, but I know that a lot of people with ADHD say they have trouble listening as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, people with NPD, we have trouble listening, but it's for a different reason. It's like we have trouble listening to other people because we are very self-absorbed, self-focused, 
and we're constantly worried about what we're, how we're going to be perceived when we're in a conversation we're constantly worried about what other people are going to think of us so the reason it, the reason it gets in the way of listening is because somebody else is saying something to me right and i'm thinking about what i'm going to say back in response to them right and then i'm yeah, not I mean, able to hear what they're saying you know nameless narcissist said the same thing that like the moment he stops speaking and you start talking he's immediately thinking of what am i responding with when they speak yes. <laughs> yes yeah he said the same thing <laughs> <laughs> knows, what's up <laughs> okay, um, okay. Problem uh, identified. So what's uh what's ooh rubbing my hands together? My, what's our coping mechanism? Both of them. I really want to get on podcasts with at some point. So coping mechanism for listening is coping mechanism for listening to other people. First, it's like when somebody's telling me a story, instead of just zoning out. <laughs> sounds so terrible. Um, instead of like zoning out, it's like somebody's telling me a story they're like hey i went and i went to a concert and it was such a blast i try to picture myself going to that concert i try to picture that i'm them oh and that helps me listen to what they're saying better because it's like then i'm this helps with empathy too it's like i'm i'm able to see things from point of their point of view by literally like visualizing i'm them going to the concert and i'm like wow yeah it does feel good yeah i'm at a concert awesome oh that's um, that's really cool i wouldn't have thought about that because in my case i kind of have strong empathy skills well you know for yeah. certain things that i'm skilled at natural. and so yeah. so certain ways it's easy for me to imagine or to take seriously other people's inner environment. So then just hearing that is like, when you explain it, it makes total sense, but I'd have never thought of it by myself. So that's really cool. You're that's literally cool. putting yourself in somebody else's shoes. Yeah. 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 Uh -huh. yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's Neat. some skill I picked up over time. And then when I'm talking to people, like I want them to feel validated, which also helps me listen to them more. So the skill is they're telling me, okay, I'm going to, Go back to the concert example, right? They're like, mm -hmm. I'm so happy that I got to see my favorite band in concert. So I try to do this thing, and I learned this when I was in school for psychology, this skill. It's like you first, it's like a three-step thing. First, you like restate the feeling. So you go, and you don't have to use the exact same word. Like you don't have to say the word happy. You'd be like, oh, you felt, you had a fun time. You felt excited. That's the first part, restating the feeling. Then there's summarizing is the second part. You felt excited because you went to this awesome concert. And then the last part is asking for clarification. Right. So that part would be like, am I right about that? Is that how you felt? Right. And then usually when you do that three-step process, then they're like, right on. Yeah, that is. <laughs> and like, yeah. I feel like I've listened to them and I feel like I validated them and it just, it's a good thing. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, even some of those things I employ myself in terms of my conversations with people of, well, I mean, so again, because of the empathy thing, like I just 
Mm-hmm. People give me an inch and I just take a whole fucking mile and just like dig right down into their experience. But then there's always like to make them feel like I'm not being intrusive and like I'm not trying to really see things or look what they're not. I try to bring them along with me and I try to be like, hey, like this is cool about your experience. I'm showing them what I'm learning from them and then also asking questions of following up of, well, okay, this is like what I think I see, but how does it feel? Or do you agree? Or like, where would you take this? And so you really make it more of a dialogue back forth and it makes it go better makes it go well so i mean for me i think that comes more naturally so again this is why i wanted you to take the lead on some of these coping skills because again you're coming with some of these practical solutions for problems that i wouldn't necessarily see so this is great this is uh last so far yeah it's awesome because it's yeah it's like these are things that come naturally for me for you for me, these are skills I had to pick up over time because they weren't coming naturally to me. I think another one I imagine would be different with uh, NPD and BPD is I have this big thing about asking for help and even honestly, like asking questions. You know, I'm, I've certainly gotten better at it, so I'm able to do it now. But like, it used to like affect me at like jobs. It used to like affect my ability to like connect with people. And the reason I'll tell you why I'm afraid to like do that is because I want to be seen as all knowing. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I want to be seen as I know everything, you know? I remember so, burning Lila, who's on the sub and girlfriend in the next episode, the work episodes we're going to drop. I remember one post and we were going back and forth and she was talking about how asking people questions was scary because she didn't know the answer. And from my perspective, yeah. kind of, it puzzled and just being like if you don't ask people questions how the fuck are you supposed to know anything like that's the tool that i use the, the ability that i have to go deep into people and to make inferences sometimes that maybe they don't even see themselves is because of the basic practice of asking questions and being curious mm-hmm. and so it's like it's not a superpower it's just a practice and acquired skill and if you can't do the skill oh boy like there's a lot of things you're not going to see but I, I hear yeah. the, the fear or the anxiety of what happens if you end up in a situation that you have no control over because you don't know what's coming out of the other person and controlling your environment is crucial to your self-esteem regulation or something like that, right? Yes. And I've, and I, and I've had the experience before of I'll ask somebody a question. Somebody's talking about like a movie they just saw, right? Mm. And... Oh my God. No, there's two things here. There's two things here. And one is a little, <laughs> oh, <laughs> one is a little embarrassing. <laughs> Someone's talking about a movie they've seen. Right. And I get mm. that fear of like, I, like I've never seen that fucking movie in my life. <laughs> so so I, I get like afraid to ask them the question about the movie. And um, sometimes I go full on NPD and I'm just like, yeah, that was a good movie. <laughs> because I'm afraid to ask them the question because sometimes literally like like I've asked that question to people and like their responses, you haven't seen that movie? What? Right. You know? And that makes me like really uncomfortable, it makes me feel like I'm stupid that I didn't see that movie. I'm out of touch or something. Oh, and that's difficult because it's just, this is another intuition that I have about modern societies and the rise of disorders. Things are so fucking complicated. There's so much things to see, books to read, movies to watch. 
and you yeah there's, like there's so much pressure nowadays yeah yeah and so our mind literally just can't keep up with it but then like you feel like you have to be able to be like what the image is presented of what things you're supposed to know and do and so you try to take the shortcuts of like yeah i did see that or yeah i know that or you know, you're trying to yeah. avoid having these seeming flaws that everybody seems to imply you shouldn't have and uh -huh. but it yeah. only gets worse every fucking year <laughs> because there's just more to do like this more and more you could spend all day scrolling instagram and there's whole swaths of movies that you're not watching and books you're not reading and people you're not talking to and places you're not traveling and this study you're not doing and it's just like it doesn't end like there's so many choices there's the thing, no way you you can know yeah. all everything yeah you can't. And so the thing, instead of trying to put these expectations of what you should do is the appreciation for the things you have managed to do or you've chosen. The things you choose to invest your time in is the expression of who you are and what is most important to you and your identity. And that in and of itself is unique and special, but not having that as a more widely held perspective is part of what is putting the pressure on people to become disordered or to become workaholics or to curate an image that seems to have these things without actually being able to do it because nobody can fucking do it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. So I try to remind myself, especially in those moments, like this is another coping skill, is I try to remind myself in those moments that like, okay, I don't know every movie in the world, but like I try to remember what I do know a lot about. And especially there's a lot of things I know about that other people don't know a lot about. Like mm -hmm. I can tell you a lot of things about music and like I'm really because I'm just really passionate about music and I know a lot about music history. I could tell you a lot about like I'm really into like art and especially modern art. So I could talk about that a lot. And I could talk about all this NPD and like psychology stuff a lot. So I remind myself of that stuff. That way I can like get rid of those feelings of inferiority that I'm feeling when when somebody's telling me about this movie that they've seen that I haven't seen. And then that helps me get to the point where I can then feel a little bit more secure in myself to ask them the questions about that movie yeah. that I haven't seen. Yeah, that's a great one. And again, kind of like mm -hmm. borderlines is like, we're okay being in that one down position or seeming inferior, or I've spoken with Noda about this, about mm -hmm. feeling like other people know better than me and that I really do need to defer to them before I kind of got further in self-awareness and the horrifying conclusion that people know way less about what they're doing sometimes than we think they do. And that is a conclusion that actually terrifies the shit out of me. Doesn't make me feel better. So that's uh, yeah. one of the ways you can tell that I'm not super narcissistic. But, oh God, why, why did I... Oh yeah, right. So yeah, again, being borderline, kind of coming from the opposite problem of being more comfortable with the inferior position. But then that expressed well is the willingness to be curious and being like no i didn't see that movie you think it's really cool and you're surprised that i haven't seen it like grab it to me i'll put it on the list like i'll try to when i get around and actually being okay with somebody i mean if somebody's being a dick about it then i'm just like oh okay like you're an idiot of course i can't engage in all things and you know i'm making space for you but you're not back not my problem but if somebody's just really enthused about it and i can see that like that's their excitement then it's like oh i'll just get curious about it i hear this is an expression of you and your identity and i want to know more and i'm okay with putting myself down and making space for them but that's kind of like a borderline codependent dependent personality type of thing of sometimes yeah. being willing 
to step back a bit. Yeah, 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 yeah. Definitely. Yeah, yeah I saw I mean, like a I can, Yeah, I can jump in here though of kind of put yeah, of putting some of my own in here, giving you a first crack at it. So one I guess they'll say that both we talked about last time, and it sounds like you've been doing from some of your videos and maybe you're doing before, but the journaling thing is, I think, really important for some disordered people to have that hard external memory when you have things like emotional amnesia or empathy fatigue, or you split a lot and you can't access the other side when you're splitting. So to have journaling to remember, right, this is what this felt like. I did feel this, or this is what happened, or this is what this person is like on other occasions. To have that constancy or that wider perspective so you're not just locked into the present moment is a big thing mm -hmm. for some disordered people. Yeah, like I, one thing I I know I said in in like the last episode too was with my journals like that was right after I'd, I'd read back and looked at a lot of my old journal entries and I saw I was able to zoom out of my life for a minute and see the repetitive patterns I was having in my life. Here's a relationship. It starts out I'm idealizing the person. I'm seeing all these good qualities in them. Then I devalue them and start seeing all the bad qualities and then it falls apart and that's another bridge burned or whatever. And I saw this pattern happen long enough that I was able to be like, okay, what's going on here? I was able to right. then see the pattern more when it's actually happening to me in my life. Also with the splitting thing, if I'm seeing somebody as all bad, I'm able to look back at a previous journal entry I wrote about the person when I was seeing them as all good. It helps me balance out my view of them and see them as in, in more of in the gray rather than black or white. I'm able to see, because I'm, I'm look, looking at a list of their positive qualities in this old journal entry I wrote, and I'm like, well, yeah, this person is actually not that bad, you know? So. <laughs> yeah, sometimes, sometimes you just need the backup hard drive. If you're disordered yeah. and you have a brain that is hard to navigate or doesn't function in all these ways that you maybe optimistically would like it to, you can just do things that are external, but help facilitate that process for you. And if it helps, then who gives a fuck what it looks like? You, you just do it. Yep, totally. Um, <laughs> yeah. So the journals have helped for that. Also, just like similarly writing a list out of, of everyone's people in my life, I'm close with their positive and negative qualities just to have that list in front of me at all times, just to be like, to look at it, to keep me balanced, no matter whether I'm idealizing or devaluing the person, I always have that list to balance me out. Yeah, that's a good one. I remember we did talk about that before. And I mean, <laughs> even, even for myself, again, like that would have been helpful for me when I was younger of going through the fluctuations. Uh, I think we talked about in the misconceptions episode, getting yeah. hard to remember on hour three here, but being yeah. so low, being like, I desperately need help, I gotta do something, and then getting so high and being like, what the fuck am I talking about? I feel great. Why would I think that I need help? Being able to yeah. journal through that, and particularly brought that to somebody and been like, oh, this is what's happening over time, uh, getting locked into each individual moment would have been so fucking helpful, but I just didn't fucking do it at that time. <laughs> yeah. Another thing with the highs and lows is that is, I think is a good coping skill is to so with, with the highs, with the times when I'm feeling like really good about myself, I know I'm going to be super energetic in those moments. So I try mm -hmm. to use them on purpose. Right. Like I try to be really productive during those times because I know 
I got the energy to do all this stuff. And I'm not going to have that same energy when I'm in the lows and I'm depressed and stuff like that. So that's one way. And then as far as like the depression goes, a lot of managing that is I have that tendency to just kind of like wallow in it when I'm feeling really depressed. So I have to like get myself off the couch, get myself doing something. It helps to have like a, just a small chore to do to just get me at least the motivation to do it. So it'll be like, I'm going to take out the trash. And then once I've taken out the trash, I feel a little bit better. I feel a little less depressed because I'm like, yeah, I did the thing. So now I'm going to go and do something else because now I feel a little better. And then you feel even better because you did another thing. So that totally helps. Or like getting outside and like going for walks and that kind of thing is also super helpful because then you're also getting exercise too. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, all right. Um, I'm going to say that, at least for myself, I may not have your stamina, but I'm starting to fade. So I'm going to throw one last thing in from my end. And then if you have maybe a last point that you want to throw in as well, or, you know, if you have said your piece and you're willing to hold it. But yeah, I, mean, I have we, I have one more. I do have one more that, that I do want to get into. Cool. So I think what? we can we... both do one more. And I am getting yeah. like, all like tired. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Thank God the peer pressure is off of me. Yeah, you know, we can always come back to these because I also have more for both. Totally, I love right chatting with you, so I'm totally yeah. for it whenever. Yeah. Well, you certainly know how to end back up on the pod. So shameless flattery, I did it to Nick. That's why I'm now here co-hosting. <laughs> <laughs> it's the great circle of getting on the pod. Yes. Yeah. So I guess the last thing that I'll leave off with is another head scratcher. It's not always mm-hmm. the case for everybody. I, for example, as we were talking about being depressed. But mm-hmm. I, I think there's some nuance to this piece of advice and how it gets deployed. And it's something that I've really employed to great effect in my life at this point. Okay. And that coping mechanism is to do absolutely fucking nothing. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? <laughs> That fucking works, because <laughs> I have like a real, this literally just happened last week. I've had some bad days at work, and I just said, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to take a nap, and I felt so much better after that nap. Yeah. You know what? Sometimes that's what you need. You don't have to like work through everything all the time. Sometimes you just got to let yourself chill. It's pretty flexible. I mean, I mean this in a lot of ways. That example you gave is fantastic. Sometimes you don't have to meet problems head on. Sometimes you can just chill and your feelings will change. Or you'll have more perspective later. Or you'll be calmed down and it'll be Mm -hmm. easier to deal with. Another thing is sometimes you get those sharp feelings in a situation. You get jealous. You get really mad. You get really sad. And you don't want to feel that way anymore. We were kind of talking before about, you know, using alcohol or drugs functionally to change your feelings or to accomplish mm-hmm. things. But sometimes, again, you you can feel something, but you don't always have to do something. You could sit there and reflect on why you're feeling this way. You can carry on with your life and reflect on it or reflect on how often it occurs and be like, what is this trying to tell me? But that knee-jerk impulse of feel something, I got to do something, I got to get back at this person, I got to go to the club, I got to pick somebody up, Mm -hmm. like that, that immediate desire to act being unable to be still 
is something that I think can motivate people to do a lot of actions that aren't ultimately going to be helpful or they're only a short-term coping skill, but in the long term, they're going to be bad. And so in that sense, in those yes. circumstances, sometimes doing like, you know, somebody is like, I'm super fucking mad at so-and-so. Like, I just want to go over and like, burn their house down and kick their dog. Right. You know, what do you right. think that I should do? <laughs> <And you're> just, <laughs> Fucking, you know, get a real dirty about it. Just do everything. Right. And, and the answer is, no, don't fucking do that. <laughs> it might be a big Rottweiler, and then you're really going to regret it. <laughs> yeah. or, or, you know, there are going to be negative consequences, or you end up becoming the person yes. who every time you feel bad, you got to go burn somebody's you house kick down. A dog. You kick a dog. Exactly. <laughs> you, you get where I'm going with this. If you always just, you don't want to become the kick a dog person. So you, when you Absolutely. feel those, when you feel those feelings, it can be better to just say, but I don't care enough about this person to be invested. Or if they're, ha if they're doing something that's damaging to my it. life, exactly. How do I protect myself? Move myself from the situation, remove them from my life. They make me feel fucking bad. I don't have to fucking think about them. I don't have to see them. Just there's a immortal technique song where it talks about other rappers are figments of my imagination when i don't think yeah. about them they cease to exist and it's just like yeah there you go that's, <laughs> that's the attitude i have yeah <laughs> okay. just insignificant out of mind <laughs> all right so yeah. I, have, I have two things okay I have one thing that's just kind of like an add-on to what you just said and then my other thing that i want to say yeah please um, do okay cool so the add-on thing was um, one of my things, one of my therapists taught me that really has just been like an advice that stuck with me that I try to remind myself all the time. I, your emotions, when they come into your life, they come in like waves. You have a wave of depression and then that crashes and then you have a wave of happiness and then that crashes and then you have like anger or whatever. You just keep having these different waves. So it's important to know that you're not always gonna feel at 100% always happy all the time. You know, there's going to be these different waves in your life and you can't you can't try to like push against the waves. You just have to ride them out sometimes and just mm. feel them and then you're on to the next one, you're feeling good again, you know? Yeah, exactly. That's a great way to uh describe it as well. Totally down for that. Mhm. Mm Last one. This is uh something that I heard you say when I listened to your podcast with the nameless narcissist shout so out i wanted to yeah so i wanted to bring it up because it like totally like i heard you say it and i was like oh my god i really relate to that i definitely do that as a coping skill uh, oh i'm so curious now yes so okay with like lying that is one of my like habits i have a tendency to lie um mm. you said something on that podcast though about how like a lot of what you do is you have these kind of fantasy kind of jokes like you make up fake situations uh, like, a lot of, <laughs> and, and i do the same thing like a lot of my friends say i have like this really, like, surreal sense of humor where i just come up with these really like bizarre things and it's a way to like say something that's not real but like you're doing it in a healthy way that makes people feel good and makes them laugh and that's a good thing you know <laughs> right yeah and we were talking just before about the traits that you have and not 
getting mm-hmm. rid of them, not demolishing them, but rather trying to channel them in a more productive pro-social or pro-social way. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Yeah, and so that's one of them. Like, you just that joke I was making about, like, well, okay, everybody, I hope this was a fucking joke about getting angry and burning down somebody's house and kicking their dog, but, you know. (laughs) (laughs) No, I did find that funny, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I hope it's a joke, but, yeah, I'm just being ridiculous and being funny with it and just kind of going into surreal reverie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) It's just the point of entertaining myself while being slightly ridiculous and being alternate reality but in a way that doesn't disappear. it doesn't hurt anybody hurt it makes anybody. people laugh it actually makes people feel good you know yeah and that's still again that's a way of you don't have to be in the nitty-gritty you don't always sometimes we need a break from reality some of the disorders are people totally are trying to take those breaks or pauses from reality because of painful or difficult things that have happened and even regular totally. people like we still need to get out of it and so just you're mm-hmm. actually doing people a service sometimes by being able to afford that for them in a safe way yeah yeah that's like the benefit of that that kind of humor is it gets people thinking about something totally different that makes them get out of that stuff that's been stressing them out and distract them from it which is great (laughs) yeah well i'm glad to hear that something i said there was useful for you and you know again this is kind of the point of the plots is everybody takes each other's experiences and learns things and yeah i've gotten some things from you as well and like knowing now that coffee is the real gateway drug. You know, we got to put that one out there to the parents and kids. Like, fucking who would have known? So right. you're, getting, you're getting the real coffee facts here on PD drug. Raw. <laughs> but yeah, so at this point, these two gals are some tired potatoes. So we're going to let the audience go and we're going to let each other go. But this has been a lot of fun. And I think I've had both, a blast. Yeah. Yeah. As we always. Both, yeah, we both have some thoughts to follow up on after this in our own respective <laughs> podcasts or writing or videos that we're going to make because we've both gotten uh-huh. some really cool things come out and also a lot of validation and affirmation and just connection. Again, and once again, I would be glad to be on your podcast anytime. I always love chatting with you, so we'll totally oh. down for that whenever. Yeah, but um, yeah, well, we have lots of for videos and all that too. <laughs> yeah, well, my grandiosity is engaged. So trust me, we don't need to talk about that twice. I mean, I still have some things that I'm interested in picking your brain about on the topics that we just did, but we're going to call it a nightcap there. And uh, yeah, we'll for now, yeah, totally. yeah. So thank Sounds you, like audience, for spending your time with us. Thank you, April, for coming thank back. Thank you. Yeah, we will do so you. again soon. And until then, yes. see y'all later. Signing off. Goodbye.